of the dealership for a whole new wrestling experience a whole new wrestling extravaganza something I've wanted to do for a little while but have been too intimidated to do have been too scared to do I'll admit it I confess my fears welcome to episode one of Rope Break a pro wrestling podcast by none other than me and I am, as I figure out how to use OBS, I am the Greg Flynn. Thank you for joining me here this morning. And we have a stack show. There we go. If you're watching live on Twitch, I'm figuring out how to do things on Twitch. I've tried to come up with ways to make the live experience a little more engaging and fun. We'll watch some recorded matches in the background while I talk. But welcome into Rope Break. One thing at a time, we have a little business to establish. Some some notes to go over here on uh, the first ever episode of Rope Break. It's kind of episode zero. We're learning as we go. We're figuring this out as we go. I'm figuring this out as I go. I've done a dress rehearsal. I've never done a solo podcast before. I've done a two-person podcast or multi-person podcast a number of times, and that's been fun. I've always enjoyed that, but I've never done anything so wrestling-focused, and I've never done anything solo. I'm going to be channeling uh, my inner Colin Cowherd during this, if you are familiar, my inner ability to just fucking rant forever. Um, so the way this is going to, well, hold on. The, uh, I don't I don't even know where to start. I got a million things I want to talk about. The way this is going to work in terms of the live show, if you come, if you're watching right now on Twitch, or maybe you're watching on YouTube or you're listening and you're like, hey, I want to see it live and interact live with the Greg Flynn. You can go to twitch.tv slash wetmeatwrestling. Tuesdays at 12.30 p.m. Eastern, 9.30 a.m. Pacific time. And during the breaks of the show, what I'm going to do is I'm going to go over chat at that time. So if people want to interact or ask questions or engage or vehemently disagree with everything I have said so far on the podcast and explain to me that not only am I stupid, but I'm ugly to boot and I'm nowhere near as cheeky and cute as I think I am, if you just need to say that. Then I will read it during the breaks of the live podcast. We'll take a break every like 10 minutes or so. I'm going to go over what we're going to be talking about today on episode one uh, right now. But first, I do want to go over real briefly my background in wrestling. That's how we're going to start. We're going to start the way I start everything, which is emotionally. We're going to start with a big group cry session as we think about our origins in wrestling. A big group cry session when we think about that moment, that first ever moment that we fell in love with professional wrestling. For me, I was, so I was like 10 years old when I fell in love with wrestling. I'm clicking around here. Forgive me. This is a one man operation. It's very difficult for just, for just me to do all this. 
But I was 10 years old when I fell in love with professional wrestling, so I had this friend named Eric, and I would go to Eric's house, and we would watch the Monday Night Wars. I was 10 years old in 1998. I was 10 years old when Hulk Hogan turned heel, dropped the leg on the Macho Man Randy Savage, and joined uh, Kevin Nash and... Scott Hall with the Outsiders and the NWO was formed and the rest is history, both in terms of me and in terms of, geez, professional wrestling. Everything changed after that. The Monday Night Wars were off to the races, but so was my love of big, beefy, burly men covered in baby oil, drenched in it, soaking in it. Engaged in martial combat in the squared circle. I had never seen anything like it. Little 10-year-old Greg thought this was the most amazing thing he had ever seen. Wait, we can look strong and tough and fight, but we don't actually have to fight each other? Why, this is a perfect situation for little Greggy. For little 10-year-old Greggy. And I found love, and for a few years after that, every Monday night, it was over to Eric's house to watch the Monday Night Wars. We would flip back and forth based on who was fighting what match and what was going on in the show. One week we were WCW fans. The next week we were WWF fans based off what was going on. Who's Shawn Michaels fighting? Who's The Rock fighting? What's Hulk Hogan doing? What's the NWO doing? Oh my God. It was so hype. It was probably the pinnacle of professional wrestling. I told my wife that the other day that we were watching, I think it was like WrestleMania 14 or something late 90s and I said this was the peak of the popularity and the hype and the and the and everything with professional wrestling. I don't know if that's totally true. There was a peak in the 80s. There was another peak in the 90s. And there will be more peaks moving forward because this business that we love will never die. Which leads me into my next segment, which is how I got into the business. That's right, I'm in the business. I've been in the wrestling business for two, three years, excuse me, three years now with Wet Meat Wrestling with the WMW running a Twitch community eFed. If you're listening to this podcast, you're like, wait, what is he talking about? Well, head over to wetmeatwrestling.com and learn about the eFed, the Twitch community eFed. We have a lot of fun. You can live out your uh, ambitions, your dreams in becoming a wrestling megastar. And you can do it on Twitch.tv. You can do it in the WMW. We cut promos. We're going to watch some promos from that during our breaks throughout the podcast this morning. While I'm breaking down these matches. While I'm breaking down these shows. And we'll do that every week. And we'll evolve what we do throughout the show as the show evolves. We'll have guests on in the show in the future. Excuse me. Um, I would love to have like indie wrestlers come on the show. I think that would be so cool. I think it's very easy to do. We'll have WMW superstars come on the show. That could be super cool. I would love to be joined by Trent Prendergast sometime. Two-time WMW world champion. That would, that would make a pretty cool episode. I feel like Trent Prendergast joined us. Never Amanda Flynn, though. Amanda Flynn, my wife. That's a two-time champion that I would just be uninterested in. Um, but the community EFED, what I wanted to talk about with the community EFED, in all seriousness, was that 
you know, I was talking with my wife about this just like a night or two ago and how much it taught me about behind the scenes, uh, the behind the scenes in the wrestling business that I wouldn't have learned any other way. And, and I don't necessarily mean that, like, obviously we're not wrestling. You're watching one of the matches right now. If you're watching on Twitch, you're watching one of our WMW matches unfold. These matches are simmed um, and then recorded and that's what you're watching. Um, and obviously nobody's wrestling, obviously nobody's playing. And as a product of that, sure. Yeah. Egos and money and viewership. Sure. Sure. I don't have to deal with quite as much of that as I would if I was booking a real wrestling promotion an indie or, or otherwise wrestling promotion. Um, but you know, the opposite, not the opposite, but the other side of the coin the other side of the coin of that is the creative thinking that goes behind booking this EFED and creating an EFED. And anyone who's ever run an EFED, even if it's just headcanon, even if you're just playing WWE in your bedroom and you have a little promotion in your head and that's just headcanon and you have a little creator wrestler that's your uh, champion of the WWE or Fire Pro or whatever game you like to play, whatever's going on. Like, you know how it feels. You know the creativity that goes into it, the passion that can go into it, and the fun that can go into it. Um, and and really, I want to focus on the creativity because that's the part that really has taught me so much about professional wrestling. Um, how do you keep things interesting? How do you make uh, a couple of beefcakes giving it to each other in the middle of a squared circle week after week after week interesting? Uh, how do you make that engaging? How do you draw people in to watch that? Uh, if it is kind of quote unquote the same thing every time, ooh, well then how do you make it good? How do you build to it? How do you do something special? Um, and we're actually going to talk about that quite a lot today. Uh, I'm going to do, uh, after our first break here in a minute, I'm going to do match ratings for AEW All In. And this is going to be a lot of fun because this is going to really introduce to you guys how I score matches and like what I'm looking for. And so I'm like, okay, if I'm going to make an official match rating system to do this for the podcast and just for my life, I feel like I need uh, to, to be able to appropriately judge wrestling matches. So if I'm going to appropriately judge wrestling matches, how am I going to do it? And this is the scale I've come up with. So I want you guys pay attention, take notes. I want you guys rating your matches at home this way. And then we can compare notes with the same scale, with the same system. You see, if you use the scale and if I use the scale, and we all use the scale together, we can rate these matches together and then we can talk about that. You see how all that works? Uh, and obviously, uh, I think Dave Meltzer is a pissant and a mark. So we're not going to be using his four-star system that goes to six and a half or whatever. I think he totally dropped the ball with that. I've created my own rating system. And the rating system goes zero to ten, okay? And you don't have to stick with whole numbers or half numbers, nor should you. And I'm heavily inspired, I will confess, this rating system is heavily inspired if you've ever seen one-bite pizza reviews from Barstool Sports, okay, there is a level of seriousness and strictness that goes into these ratings for, for Barstool Sports for the pizza reviews. I'm Dave Portnoy. I'm blanking on his name. Um, and 
One of the things he always says is you can't just rate every good piece of pizza a 10 because then where do you go from there? How do you build from there? And if you know me, oh my gosh, you know that wrestling is about the build, whether it's in the match or the build prior to the match. It's like, it'd be like skipping, this is actually my wife's slide. It'd be like if you were having sex, you just skipped the foreplay. You just went, I mean, sure, the finish is good, and everybody talks about the finish, but, like, if you really think about it, you talk about other things than the finish after great sex, and you talk about other things than the finish after a great wrestling match. There needs to be a strong build. There needs to be a story. There needs to be a climax, and that's what I'm really looking for in wrestling matches. I'm looking for... Okay, tell me where I'm going and then juke me or don't or get me there or don't, but make it related and make it a story. Um, So that's what I'm looking for, zero to 10. And just to give you some quick benchmarks on how I see all that, and I'm real strict, I view a four out of 10 match. I'm going to give you these ideas so that way as I start rating these matches from all in, that's what we're going to do next. That's where we're heading. We're about to start rating all the matches from all in this past Sunday, the show in Wembley, the biggest wrestling show in the history of professional wrestling, according to AEW at least. We're going to rate all the matches and we're going to talk about what makes great matches. But anyway, as you start hearing the numbers I've given these matches, I want to give you some benchmarks. So a 4 out of 10 to me is like the bare minimum for like what I would call a TV match that isn't a squash match. That might sound harsh, but a 4 out of 10, I mean, we're talking about two superstars, professional wrestlers who are competent who work through some work, who work through some moves, and then kind of get to the finish, and the finish is the end of the match. That's a 4 out of 10 match to me. We didn't do a lot. Sure, we built a story around the finisher, basically. That's the only real story happening in these sort of matches. Maybe not a lot of strong pre-match build. That's a 4 out of 10. A 6 out of 10, I would call a quality pay-per-view match, or like a main event TV match. There needs to be more. There needs to be wrinkles. There needs to be kicking out of finishers. There needs to be a little bit more hype to reach that 6 out of 10. 8 out of 10 is getting to be significantly high quality. We're now starting to talk about matches that you remember uh, distinctly. A week later, two weeks later. Even a year later, you're still talking about an 8 out of 10 match. So if you hear or see me give a match an 8 out of 10, it means I really believe that this is a match that's going to stick with me for a while. And then obviously if you were to get into 9, 9.5, I, I, I can't even think of what a 10 out of 10 match would be off of the top of my head. That would have been a good, I should have dug through, maybe in the future we can do like match recommendations or something like that. Legendary uh, match recommendations. Uh, but today, as we come in on our first break, we're going to watch a, a promo from one of our WMW megastars, Callie Setsy. Today, what we're going to focus on after the break, we're going to review and rate all of the matches from AEW All In. All of them, all 10. I got ratings. They're strict. Okay, I got my red pen out. 
I'm going to let them know what they did wrong. It's a lot. And then we're going to talk about after that how WWE responds. Okay, we've had Raw, we've had SmackDown, and we're leading into Payback this weekend. The same weekend is another, how did I not talk about this? The same weekend is another pay-per-view with AEW. All out. They have two pay-per-views in two weekends. It's fucking insanity. It's the biggest week in AEW history. Is WWE going to lie down and take it and let that happen? Or do they have a response lined up? Do they have an amazing show lined up this weekend to steal our attention as wrestling fans? We're going to talk about that later in the show. And then at the end of the show, I have a, a, uh, I love to read wrestling books. And so I'm going to do a book recommendation. We won't do a book recommendation necessarily every podcast, every week, uh, but we will do a lot of them because I fucking love to read wrestling books, uh, biographies and otherwise. I'm, I'm reading a biography right now, but I won't spoil what the book recommendation is going to be. Hey, thanks for joining me, the Greg Flid, on the first episode of Rope Break. We're going to take a quick break right now. We're going to watch a promo from our community eFed. And if you have any thoughts on All In, if you have any thoughts on the podcast, anything else, get them in now. We'll take a look at them after the break here in Twitch chat. Welcome to the launch episode of Rope Break. Motherfuckers, we are back with episode one of Rope Break. Make sure to check us out at wetmeatwrestling.com. See everything I am up to content-wise, wrestling-wise, podcast-wise, WMW-wise. But right now, it's EEW-wise, and it's wise of you to be here. <laughs> with me at Rope Break. We're going to break down all of the matches from AEW All In. We're going to go through about half the show, take a break, and then look at the other half of the show. And it's a great launching off point, in my opinion, to talk about what makes great wrestling, to talk about what makes great matches. And I got to say that this was not, ooh, this was not, oh my gosh, spoiler. I mean, am I the only one who thinks this? This was not a great show. AEW All In was not a great show. You had 82,000 British marks ready to cheer, and they cheered. The crowd was amazing. I give the crowd a... I hadn't rated the crowd. I would rate the crowd like an 8.5 out of 10. That was a phenomenal crowd that was there to party and there to have a good time. And I felt like AEW drastically under-delivered, and I don't think it's the end of the world for them, but this was an average show with average wrestling matches. The first match we're going to look at, the Ring of Honor tag team titles at the buy-in, we're going to go roughly in order of how the show itself unfolded. So the Ring of Honor tag team uh, championships, we're talking about MJF and Adam Cole versus Ozzy Open. The whole point of this match, everyone knew going into it, strong build. In a way, in a way, strong build for this, even though we don't know Aussie Open or care about them, New Japan marks or whatever. We, we don't. We don't. There's no strong build here. However, the build comes from, obviously, MJF, Adam Cole. That side of it, 
will be in the main event later this same show fighting each other for the AEW World Championship. They're best friends, and we're sitting here wondering and waiting, curious if the split is going to happen. And so going into the match, are they going to? is the best friendship going to break up, dissolve in front of our eyes uh, during the Ring of Honor match? Is it going to happen during the main event? Is it going to happen at all? These are the big questions of the show, and they kick it off by letting us get a little taste, a little tease, and start asking those questions, which was a cool match to start the show with. It was a super cool match to start the show with. But the problem that I felt like the match encountered was that they didn't want to hurt or exhaust MJF or Adam Cole because they had a main event to do two and a half, three and a half hours later. And you could see it in the match. You could see that this wasn't going to be a championship-level tag team match and that we were going to watch championship-level wrestling and they were going to pull out all the stops. No, they were going to do that in the main event three hours later. Which is why I gave this match a 4.2 out of 10. This was barely better than a TV match. Um, And without the setup of... MJF and Adam Cole being best friends without the setup of will they betray each other or won't they? Um, why would you be watching this? What is there to see? There's nothing in it. If I just turn on the TV and I'm if I'm a casual fan, and this is a great barometer, if I'm a casual fan of wrestling and I'm familiar with wrestling, but you know, I don't watch AW, maybe I just turn on Raw sometimes or something like that, a little more surface level, casual, and I, I hear about this big pay-per-view and I'm watching the buy-in on YouTube and I'm trying to decide whether I'm going to buy this show and the whole thing is like, will MJF and Adam Cole, will there be a feud there? And there's no real hints about it during this tag match as you watch it and then at the end of it, they win an underwhelming match. I'm probably, if I'm that person, I'm probably wondering why I'm buying the pay-per-view. Probably still buying it because there's 82,000 British marks screaming at the top of their lungs and it's a cool event, et cetera, et cetera. But it still begs the question, like, it's a tough call. And at one point during the match, and this was my favorite part of the match, at one point during the match, Tony Schiavone uh, asks his desk mates in the audience, he goes, have we ever had championship contenders from a main event have another match during the same show? Has that ever happened before? And to Tony's defense, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to eviscerate him here with some wrestling knowledge. In his defense, they often act like things are more rare than they actually are. I am aware of this. However, Tony, you need to do your research about a young man named Yokozuna. Because at WrestleMania 9... Yokozuna defeated Bret Hart and then he immediately turned around and wrestled Hulk Hogan and lost that match. And then at WrestleMania 10, one year later, Yokozuna wrestled Lex Luger for the championship and then later in the same show, wrestled Bret Hart and lost. And Bret Hart did the same thing because Bret Hart wrestled Owen Hart in the opening match of WrestleMania 10, and then Bret Hart wrestled Yokozuna and defeated him in the main event. Owen beat Bret. Bret won the title. It was an incredible WrestleMania. You should have been there, Tony Schiavone. You should have been there. I really enjoyed it. I enjoyed it as a kid, and I enjoyed rewatching it like a month ago. I happened to see that. So I was ready when Tony Schiavone asked that question. 
It's called the it's called the Yokozuna. We call it doing a Yokozuna, Tony. And when you pull a Yokozuna, you wrestle two in a row. So I'm just lost at how much I loved Yokozuna. Okay, moving on. The Ring of Honor Tag Team match. There was one other match during the buy-in. It was the FTW Championship. Jungle Boy, Jack Perry came in wrestling heel. He's a bad guy now. He's super sexy now. And none of us like him. According to the TV show, we actually have a lot of apathy. I'm not going to lie about Jungle Boy. Uh, Taking on Hook, the former FTW championship, or excuse me, former FTW champion. This match kind of came out of nowhere for me. Um, And they did what I feel like they could have done a while ago, which was it felt like they started turning the FTW championship into like a pseudo hardcore match. So the match starts and Jungle Boy has the limousine and then because every match has to begin before the bell outside of the ring. Like every match has to, the fight has to start before the bell because they hate each other so much. It has to start before the bell and outside the ring. So Hook comes running up and he beats the shit out of Jungle Boy. And then they're suplexing each other on the limousine. And then they head into the ring. And if I if I remember right, they suplex each other on some, some chairs and stuff. And then Hook wins. And then Hook gets to be FTW champion again. Which really begs the question why Jungle Boy was ever FTW champion. I guess to turn him heel. Um, they're trying to make the FTW match pseudo hardcore I don't know if they intend to make the belt more of the hardcore championship it could give the belt a little more flavor um I know that they have FTW rules I'm sure that if I went back and watched there's been more chair shots and stuff in the FTW matches but since every AEW match has rule breaking and chair shots and and cutting and all this it's hard to make a, a hardcore belt or a pseudo hardcore belt as I've been calling it stand out And it just leaves the problem that now you have one of your uh, most charismatic, good-looking young wrestlers, Hook. He's not really a hardcore wrestler. He has your kind of hardcore belt that's an homage to his dad and ECW. I don't know why they put the belt back on Hook. I don't know what the plan is here. I don't think it's going to become a more hardcore championship than it already is. I don't think Hook's going to be a more hardcore wrestler than he already is. I think that this was just this was just one-off shtick and gimmick and a match. It just feels that way, and that's why I gave this match a 4 out of 10. It was, it was just straight up this match could have been on TV, and I would have, I would have gladly fast-forwarded through it on television. And instead, I sat and watched it on the buy-in of All In. And uh, it's a little harsh. I mean, suplexing onto a limo is cool. But the problem that this match has is Jungle Boy. I feel like Jack Perry is just not an interesting uh, wrestler. I was going to say heel, but I didn't care about him as a babyface. And I care even less about him as a heel. Um, I'm sort of enjoying watching the car crash as he totally lacks confidence in being a heel. I hate to throw shade, but I just don't believe Jungle Boy when he tells the fans how much he hates them. I just don't believe Jungle Boy uh, when he tries to act like he is dripping in arrogance. I know that 
you know, you turn an insecure wrestler heel. The arrogance is a cover for the lack of confidence, and it's part of the story. I guess, maybe, I'm not buying it with Jungle Boy. I, I don't see somebody who's using arrogance to mask his insecurity, and that's why he's a heel and he's super mean now. I just see somebody who's pretending to be mean on TV. He's like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to play dress up. I'm going to dress up like I'm a good-looking mean guy on television today, and I'm Jungle Boy Jack Perry. It's awful. It's awful. It's not all his fault. It's, it's, it's the creative direction of AEW. It's Tony Khan. It's whoever's helping him, whoever, whoever's making the decision that Jungle Boy needs to be on TV talking week after week after week. It's just not happening. It's not happening right now. He needs more time in the oven or something. I don't know. I'm I I book efeds. I don't book <laughs> I don't book AEW, but I just don't think he's where they think he is. And I don't think he is what they think he is. I think he's phenomenal in the ring. He can sell stuff. He can make stuff look fantastic in the ring, certain movesets, etc. But I don't think he's great at building a match, selling a match, talking on the mic. I'm just not there for Jungle Boy. So that's why I gave the match a 4 out of 10. I'm kind of there for Hook. I, I hope uh, for good things for Hook uh, in the future. But Jungle Boy just not doing it for me. Two people who are doing it for me, though. This next match really got things fired up. This was technically the first match of the show. Remember, we're reviewing the matches from AEW All In. If you're listening on twitch.tv slash wetmewrestlinglive, get your questions in. And I will address them during uh, the break or after the break. We're going to take a break here in about 10, 5 minutes. 5, 10 minutes here will be our next break. But right now we're looking at CM Punk versus Samoa Joe, who I have uh, now renamed Jerk Off Joe. I haven't seen him do the jerk off motion in any of his other matches, but if you watch the show, he kept... He kept jerking off, I don't know, the crowd, CM Punk, his, just how he felt about the situation, I don't know, but Samoa Joe just kept doing the jerk-off motion. I was totally there for it. I liked this match. I thought this was a great match. Uh, just in terms of in the ring, it was a lot of fun to watch. Uh, it, it felt impactful. CM Punk uh, covered in blood, looked fantastic, felt fantastic, felt gritty, felt violent. Uh, the pacing of it was great. I feel like Samoa Joe is uniquely a master of pacing. One of the difficult things to do in wrestling, I feel like, is you have to kill a lot of time. You, you have to power slam somebody, and then you have to do something to explain why you're not just power slamming him again. Think about wrestling. A move and kind of a breath, and then a move and then a breath. And oftentimes, what are you doing during that breath? And Samoa Joe is able to take that breath and pace his matches in a way, I don't know how else to word this, that feels real. It feels real. It feels like that is the rate at which Samoa Joe exerts violence. I don't feel like he's trying to come up with what he should be doing next necessarily. I don't see him like little eye dart glances into the crowd to see if people are buying this. I just see a violent guy who's a little bit slower paced. He's a bigger guy. It makes sense exerting violence onto his opposition. And I thought it was a great match. It was a violent match. I'm going over my notes here before I give the final grade. Uh, 
JR at the end of this match said that we need more CM Punks and Samoa Joes in wrestling and in AEW. Uh, I totally agree. I thought CM Punk looked phenomenal. Like, just his, like, he looked cut. He looked good. He looked beefy. CM Punk's look, no hate, hasn't always been phenomenal since he's gone into AEW. It's been fine. But he looked as as jacked as and and athletic as he has looked since he joined AEW, in my opinion. I don't know if that was just because it was such a big show or what, um, but they looked phenomenal. So I ended up giving this match a six point six. So it wasn't quite a legendary talk about it forever. We talk about that eight point It's not at that level. This was a really good match. This was a really good opening match. It has a fair amount of buildup. Joe and Punk have history, both long-term and short-term. They've done some things on Collision to build this match, make me interested in it. I don't care about the real-world championship, and I'm not going to care about the real-world championship until somebody, presumably CM Punk, correctly points out that this real world championship needs to be unified with triple B. And once that happens, maybe I'll give a shit about the real world championship, but that seems to be the only place to go with the real world championship, which means every time Punk defends that title, I already know what's happening. So if we're going to have to have six months of real world title defenses before we get where we're going with this thing, I feel like that's going to suck because I already know where I'm going. And that's one of the issues with pacing these sort of storylines. And frankly, one of the issues of having this real world championship, it's like there's so many fucking belts in AEW between the FTW belt, the mainline AEW championships, the trio fucking championship that they added, and now the ring of honor championships. There's so many straps in AEW that if you're going to use this CM Punk situation to get you to a Punk MJF match, just go ahead and do it, in my opinion. Just go ahead and do it and get there because nobody's going to beat Punk for that championship. I don't know. Maybe I'm wrong. Hopefully I'm wrong. Maybe they'll do something and and prove me wrong. I don't know. Uh, But that's where I want to see it go. So 6.6 final score on the Punk versus Joe matchup, which leads into the next match. Uh, One of the guys who really got me into AEW, and it's funny because I'm not as big of a fan of his anymore, which is Kenny Omega and the Elite. Well, I wrote down the Elite, but it's really, it's Kenny Omega, Kota Ibushi, and then Hangman Adam Page taking on AEW's version of the Bullet Club, which is still the Bullet Club. It's Jay White. It's Juice Robinson. And then, obviously, Konosuke Takeshita, uh, the new uh, signing with AEW. So we had a 3v3 match, and uh, that's where I want to start on this one, is 3v3. Six-man tag, and what the fuck is the preoccupation in AEW? And what the fuck is the preoccupation? Is it the elite? Is it Tony Khan? Whose idea is this? Who 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 is saying that we need these... Trios championship. I know this match wasn't for the trios championship, but this this emphasis on trios wrestling, six man wrestling that they do. I mean, six man wrestling has a long history. There was a trios championship. 
uh, in various territories in the 70s and the 80s. I'm thinking of the Von Erichs in Texas in 1985. Trios champions, Kerry Von Erich, David Von Erich, Kevin Von Erich. Sure, there's some history here. You can do it, but there needs to be a reason. And when the elite put the trios championship on themselves and then picked a fight with CM Punk and all that happened. But when they did that, my mind went straight to the Von Erichs that I just mentioned. And there was a reason to put those straps on the Von Erichs. They're the sons of the promoter. And it felt the same when the elite got the trio championship and really just the trios division established. It felt like that they see themselves as Tony Khan's baby boys. They're his sons and they do cool stuff in the ring together and they deserve um, a title to make that noteworthy, to make it interesting. So here's the trios championship, my sons, my EVP sons, Kenny Omega. Here's your new contracts, Young Bucks and Kenny Omega. And here's your trios championship. Now you guys go have fun doing your trios video game wrestling. And that's what it feels like. They said, uh, Papa Tony, we want to do trios video game wrestling. And Papa Tony was like, here's your money and here's your championship belt. So people will think it's a real thing. And sure, go do your video game wrestling. And that's what it's felt like from the beginning. It doesn't make any sense. JR kept asking repeatedly during this match about why so many people were allowed in the ring, why the ref wasn't enforcing the tag rules of a tag team match. And, and he kept doing it. It's so funny. He kept doing it when the baby faces were cheating. When it was Kenny Omega and Hangman Page and Kota Ibushi who were running in and helping each other out. That's when JR was like, well, there's too many men in the ring. What's happening? That's my JR. That's how JR talks. That's, that's how I view. Oh, that's a terrible JR. We're going to have to work on that. This is embarrassing. I feel exposed. Back to the point. JR is pointing out for the baby faces. The baby faces are cheating. And every time they needed an excuse to have, go back and watch the match. Every time they need an excuse or a way to get another baby face into the ring to create more new video game. Oh my gosh, where'd that guy come flying into the screen from moments? They would have Juice Robinson try to get in the ring from the heels and the ref would become just completely overwhelmed with dealing with Juice Robinson, which is an old trick. I'm not knocking it, but they just kept going back to it. It happened like five, six times in the same match, <sighs> which leads me full circle, which leads me to kind of a greater issue, which is that's the sort of detail that I'm watching for when I watch a wrestling match. I want to get a sense of really what is happening. What are the rules? What's the combat? What what is what am I meant to believe here? Like not necessarily what is happening. This is scripted or fake. These are spots. But what am I meant to believe is happening as I'm watching this? Where's the suspension of disbelief? Because without it, what I'm meant to be watching is just acrobatics. If I'm meant to know that this isn't a combat sport, if I'm meant to know that this isn't a competitive moment, then I'm just watching acrobatics. Cool, choreographed acrobatics. And that's what these six-man matches with the elite continue to devolve into. They don't feel like impactful, competitive moments. They feel like 
Fritz von Erich's boys want to play wrestling, so we gave them some belts. Great job, boys. You look great out there. Keep jumping and kicking. I'm harsh. I gave this match a 4.5 out of 10. Uh, there were moments when I was interested. I like watching the progression of the moves. I do like the storytelling that they do try to do. And they're setting up for this weekend, Kenny Omega versus Konosuke Takeshita. I'm interested in that match. I think if you have Takeshita win in this moment, beat Kenny. You set up Kenny to have a redemption singles arc. You set up Takeshita to really look like maybe this guy is a real deal. Maybe he's going to be a main eventer. Maybe if he can get it done in the ring and pull off a great singles match with Kenny Omega and sell us on all this, and and maybe we have another great wrestler in AEW with Takeshita. I don't feel like we know that yet. I haven't seen a ton of Takeshita matches, and he's got to prove that he can do it for me, for I'd say for an American audience, I'm kind of an American audience. For me, for somebody like me, I'm not somebody who watched him develop in Japan the last four years. You know, so He's got a reputation over there, but he's got to do it here. He's got to do it with the people that he's sharing a locker room with. And if you're at AEW, you got to do it with Kenny Omega. So that's going to be a great match at All Out, Kenny Omega and Takesha. I am excited about that. But uh, I, I didn't care about this. And watching Takesha get the win in this match on a roll-up on Kenny Omega, it just it made the match feel like what it was, which was just filler and set up for something else later. And that's what I can't help but always see six-man matches as. I'm sorry. They always seem and feel like filler. Maybe the elite would say that the whole point of these six-man tag belts is is to combat that feeling from audiences. And if we feel the way that we feel, don't tell us we're wrong. We don't like six-man, we being me. And the listeners of Rope Break, welcome to the first episode of Rope Break, wrestling fans. Okay, we're going to go over one more match and then take a break. This has been a lot of fun. I've enjoyed this. And I think... Uh, my B-roll behind me is going to run out soon. But we got one match left on the docket before our next break. And that's the Tag Team Championship match. I'm excited to talk about this one. The Tag Team Championship match. I've been calling for this match, begging for this match for a while now. The champs, FTR, Dax Harwood, Cash Wheeler. I do think they might legitimately be the best tag team in the world. I mean, I don't even know who the Usos, I guess. We don't know what's going on there, whether Jay really did leave WWE. What's going to happen next? They're, they're fine. They're great. And uh, the Bucks are good. The Bucks aren't terrible. I don't hate the Bucks. I, I just don't see the Bucks for all the reasons I just listed. It's the same sort of thinking. It's video game wrestling that the Bucks do versus impactful, competitive impact, violent wrestling that FTR is trying to sell you on. Maybe it's not always that, but they're trying to make you believe that you're watching something specific. And I just don't see the Bucks doing that. That being said, I feel like these two teams have had phenomenal matches in the past. And this was, uh, it was, it felt rushed. This wasn't set up particularly well. I didn't understand the build to this. It felt like the build to this match was, everybody wanted this a year ago, so we're going to do it now in London. 
don't say we don't give you good things. Like, this just felt like a hand-me. Like, you guys have wanted FTR to beat the Bucks for a year now. Here you go. We did it. We did it. And we're going to do it in London. Isn't that great? We're doing it in Wembley in front of 80,000. But there's no, there was no build to this moment. The Bucks have been doing six-man wrestling. They haven't even been in the tag division. This is what pisses me off, you guys. The Bucks haven't even been doing tag team wrestling lately. They've been so far removed from the tag team scene. We've had the guns. We've had the acclaimed. We went back to FTR. And we've done some things to build other teams. We keep seeing Jeff Jarrett and Jay Lethal shove down our throats in the tag team division week after week after week. They're fine. Those are great wrestlers. I know, hey, but we haven't seen the Bucks at all. And then all of a sudden, FTR calls out the Bucks and the Bucks get to beat the Hardys and now the Bucks are fighting for the championship. The reason I hate this so much is because it totally kills any sense that I'm watching, and I've said this already today, a competitive environment, a league. How do, how do championship matches get awarded? What's the criteria? Now, you don't have to like have standings necessarily. And AEW promised us that win-loss record would matter and that they would be ranking contenders, and I was so fucking into that. Because you have to do something to explain why people are getting championship matches and why other people aren't. In terms of the context of the show, don't make me have to be on Twitter and don't make me have to be the smartest mark around to always know why certain matches are happening. WWE will spend half the show with wrestlers holding mics instead of wrestling. You'll be 30 minutes into a show before there's even a match, and people will complain about that. But I feel like this is exactly why they do that. So that when it's time for the match, this is why I said at the beginning, when it's time to watch wrestlers wrestle, which you've seen a few times before, how do we get you to give a fuck? You don't get me to give a fuck by rushing these things and assuming that you're all I do and that you're all I watch and that you're all I pay attention to. All I pay attention to is AEW. And all I pay attention to is AEW Twitter and Instagram. And I follow the Bucks on Twitter. And I follow Dax on Twitter. You should follow Dax on Twitter. He's good on Twitter. But they build these matches almost assuming that that's all I'm doing. And they're not building them through the show, through the context of the structure of a wrestling promotion called AEW. If I'm getting title shots in UFC, there's a reason. I want my wrestling to feel the same way. So anyway, that's a long-winded way of saying this match, in my opinion, had no build. Had a long-term build, sure, these two teams, whatever, yeah. No short-term build at all. There's been no build the past six weeks month to get to this moment there could have been and the reason there wasn't is because the elite are playing grab ass in a six-man division that doesn't need to fucking exist you see my problems with AEW? passionate about it okay so i ended up giving this match to come full circle i gave this match a 6.2 i didn't hate the match itself the match itself was interesting 
I have in my notes that the final shatter machine applied by FTR looked really fucking brutal and violent, which was cool. I don't know if that was on purpose or just the way I think it was Matt Jackson took it. Regardless, it looked it looked impactful. And the match itself, I didn't know who was gonna win. I kinda I was wondering if the Bucks were gonna win leading into it. That was kind of my prediction. Uh, I wasn't sure. I felt like FTR should win. We have the drama with Cash. Cash is getting arrested for brandishing a firearm wherever. I don't know. I didn't really look into the details of that, but they, they let him keep the belts, so maybe they feel good about that situation and whatever is going to end up happening there. I don't know. I don't know the full story, but uh, I was happy to see FTR win regardless. And it was an interesting match. Anytime, anytime you have a match where you just really don't know who the winner is going to be, I mean, that's where you have the opportunity to really create as wrestlers and as tag teams in this situation. And they did that, and the finish was really the best part. I felt like the match started climbing. There was one spot in it, and this is we're going to take a break after this, but there was one spot in it where Matt Jackson tried to do all his Northern Lights suplexes, and then Cash was like reversing it while holding on to his own suplexes. And they were trying to really do something there. And they they just did not. They just didn't. It didn't come off for me at all during that sequence. I was underwhelmed. And and that's how I ended up feeling about the match in general, I guess. So 6.2 out of 10. I would watch that match anytime on Dynamite. However, for the big AEW All-In, it wasn't what I would have wanted for that month. I would have wanted something with a stronger build and a stronger moment. Hey, thanks for joining me. The Greg Flynn on the first episode of Rope Break. Remember, you can listen at uh, you can listen live and join me at Wet Meat Wrestling, twitch.tv slash Wet Meat Wrestling. I'm going to look at chat in between these breaks. So if you have a question or an opinion, we're going to get to it at that time. And we're going to take a break right now and take a look at a WMW promo and then get back to some all-in match ratings. And then after that, We're going to look ahead at WWE Payback is this weekend. Does WWE have payback for the biggest week in AEW history? Hey, thanks for joining me here, guys. The launch episode, the first ever episode of Rope Break, a pro wrestling podcast by me. I am the Greg Flynn. Montanez, what's up, man? Welcome in, welcome in. You don't want CM Punk in AEW anymore. That's a bold... I'd be curious why you felt that way. Let me know. Let me know in the chat. I'll come back to it later. Let me know why you feel that way. I I like CM Punk in AEW from AEW's perspective. Um, I feel like I like CM Punk on a personal level. I think he's good. Um, I wonder if all the time off, I wonder if that's impacted him. I wonder, you know, years. I wonder if just aging got older during that time off too. I mean, there's a, there's a myriad of factors. 
I haven't been like wowed by anything CM Punk has done in AEW, but I have enjoyed it. I have enjoyed it. When he comes on the TV, I'm not like, oh, my God, CM Punk. Um, but I, I've enjoyed it. And when you, <laughs> you look at these match ratings and how I feel about the rest of AEW, man, I just, there's some, there's some gaps there. Although there's people they're not using that they could. I mean, it's a whole, it's a whole, it's a whole web. Running a promotion is a whole web. Take it from me. I run the greatest promotion in the world, the WMW. Okay, we are back with Rope Break. You can listen live every week at 12.30 Eastern, 9.30 a.m. Pacific on Tuesdays at twitch.tv slash wetmeatwrestling. You can get the audio version, the video version on YouTube and on the website. And I'm I'm figuring out where it's going to be hosted so that way you can get the RSS on any podcast platform you like. Spotify, Apple, that'll be happening soon enough as well, assuming... Assuming we are, uh, assuming everything's working the way I think it is, which means I have hosting, which I think I do. So anyway, back to the match rings. We're going to rate, we're going to go through the second half of, of AEW all in now. We're going to talk about the matches. The first one we're going to talk about is Stadium Stampede. Then we're going to go through the main event. And then at the end, oh, excuse me, after that, we're going to talk about how WWE responds. WWE Payback. Big show this weekend. Is it a big show or have they phoned it in in light of all that is happening with AEW? Uh, little tease on my opinion there, but stay tuned. And then, of course, your main event tonight or this morning, I have a wrestling book recommendation. Some of you guys uh, who know me know that I am obsessed with reading about wrestling and biographies and history books and other things. So I'm going to make a recommendation, a book recommendation for you. At the end of the show. So stay tuned for that. But back to the match ratings. And the next one's another really interesting one to talk about. I felt like I really had an opportunity with the tag to break down some of the things I don't like about how AEW works. And we're going to just keep riding that train, baby. Because it's stadium stampede time. More shit that I low-key hate. Am, Am I the only one? Am I the only one? Am I the only one who doesn't like... The gimmicks. I mean, six-man, we go from six-man tag, that's just gimmicky and video game, into 12-man stadium stampede. And as soon as this match started, I I was wondering if it was going to be pre-recorded. I didn't know what was going to happen here. The match starts, and it felt like there were, like, there's 12 guys, 6v6, if I'm not mistaken. And it felt a little bit like, there were six individual mini hardcore matches breaking out. And then there was like John Moxley's, which was, he was just sort of like, he's sort of like, he's like, it's like a bunch of teenage girls are hanging out and he's just got to be the prettiest. Well, he's got to be the bloodiest. And his, his little hardcore match has to be the most disgusting. You guys can be disgusting too, but nobody's more disgusting than me. I'm John Moxley. And that's how this, <laughs> that's how this match felt to me. I, I enjoyed parts of it. It's hard to even rate it as a wrestling match. I, I don't feel like I rated it as a match. Like the rating I gave it, we'll get to that in a second. I, I don't feel like that was a number that I was giving a wrestling match. I felt like that was a number that I was giving a wrestling event or an or a entertainment section of a wrestling show or does that make sense? I don't know exactly what the word I'm looking for here is, but 
this isn't a rating for a wrestling match. And they do things to kind of make it engaging. I, I'm thinking of the Penta spot, Penta getting injured and then coming back as like evil Penta and Tony Schiavone, I think it was, on the mic saying, oh my gosh, is this Penta's evil form? And then Excalibur was just sort of like, yeah. And then you just never saw Penta again. So what was the point of that? Why did that ha- Was it just for Penta? And if so, where are we going with it? Like what's, what's the, what happened and maybe I missed it. I don't know. I only watched the match once, but but I watched it and I saw shit like that. And I'm like, what are you doing with this? The other side of that, and I like Penta, but the other side of that, what are you doing with this? I, I There is one person there's a strong answer for on that question in this match. It's Orange Cassidy. Orange Cassidy covered in blood. Orange Cassidy getting violently manhandled by John Moxley. And I know that they're setting up a future match, potentially, between Cassidy and Moxley from all of this. I think that was phenomenal. I haven't loved the Orange Cassidy international title belt reign. Orange Cassidy's going to open every fucking episode of Dynamite by defending the international belt against a wrestler you've never heard of. Yay! Like, that has been... Yeah, I, people are trying to ham that up as though this is one of the greatest title def- reigns of any of the titles in wrestling, and what he's doing with this belt is so fantastic. What he's doing is fine. The booking, the creative is okay, like, what, what, what do we really, well, now we finally kind of have an answer with this Moxley thing. Now we have somebody for Orange Cassidy to fight that has some impact, that has some meaning, and I'm not a Moxley fan, obviously. I think he's a gimmick or whatever, but if you look at the context of AEW, you, you do believe, in terms of when you're watching the show, this is one of what they view as their best wrestlers. Is when they're a three-time world champion. So now Orange Cassidy is going to have to go in against the most violent three-time AEW world champion imaginable. Uh, that is finally interesting. And for the first time in a while, I am interested in both an Orange Cassidy match and a John Moxley match. That is just like a fresh coat of paint, a fresh mix-up, two guys together that we haven't had yet. Uh, that interested me. That wasn't even really on my radar. But when I saw Orange Cassidy, it was, it was heat. They used the match to draw genuine heat. I genuinely didn't really like seeing Moxley do all those things to my boy Orange, right? And so they were able to actually draw some heat using a match. It's a stadium stampede. But using a match to draw that heat. These are good accomplishments. Final score in the match was a 5.2. It's just a bunch of cool, chaotic chaos. I don't know why you would give it higher than a five or a six if you're rating this on your own at home. Uh, I don't know what here really makes it that as a wrestling fan. This spot for this match is fine, though. To have something like this on a big show, to break up the pacing, do something else, um, I didn't hate that. And I went into it already hating it. And it kind of won me over a little bit. Not as a wrestling match. As a wrestling event, if you will. So I gave the stadium stampede a 5.2. And my final note, I wrote to myself. And we, we says, I felt like it really felt like a coming out party for Orange Cassidy. We got the international belt. We got the title defenses. And then now we have him coated in blood. Been to fight Mox. 
Finn to fight. Finn to pick a fight with Mox. So that's that's good. I liked all of that. So 5.2 for the Stadium Stampede, and it's a good 5.2. It's It surprised me. The next match was the Women's Championship. Soraya with the hometown hero entrance. Um, I predicted everything that was going to happen in this match. Faction-wise, story-wise, it was easy to see it coming. Uh, I'm, I'm not bragging. I, I, I just point that out. <laughs> Again, if you know who's going to win, you're, you're robbing the wrestlers of the opportunity to really tell a story. If, if, if you haven't built the match well... You, you've stolen something from the performers, performers, excuse me, from the artists. You, you haven't given them a great canvas on which to paint. And that is exactly what the women's division of AEW is. It feels like every fucking show is a four-man championship, or every fucking women's match is a four-way for the championship because they don't want to have multiple women's matches, because they don't think they can support it. I'm going to call all this the way I see it. It feels like they don't believe in any of their female wrestlers to get across an impactful, fun wrestling match on a pay-per-view. They don't believe that they have two female wrestlers to do that. So they phoned it in, and now everything is going to be a spot fest, uh, quadruple threat, four-way uh, match for women's wrestling in AEW. If it's on Dynamite, we'll have Sheeta pick up the belt so that way she can drop it to the hometown hero Soraya a few weeks later. That can be a singles match. Who cares? But we got to get our women in and we got to tell a story about the factions. And so we'll break up the outcasts and have some drama there. Outcasts being the faction with Soraya and Tony Storm and Ruby Soho. So there's drama there, and I enjoyed the I knew that was going to happen. I knew they were going to kind of turn Soraya babyface, and she, they were going to have her win it. And here's the thing. Here's what gets me about the women's division. This is why I knew all this. Because why the fuck not? Because what the fuck else would you do? Because there is nothing else to do in the women's division right now. There is no babyface that we've been building up for a while. There is no heels that feel unstoppable or strong. Or, and there's no young women wrestlers that were like, yeah, it's their time. And as I say all this, the, the girl who was working with Britt Baker and was the champion briefly, I'm forgetting her name, but she was, she was good. She was good in the ring. I thought she had charisma, and then now she's gone. I don't know if there's an injury there. I'm blanking on her name. She's an example of one. But they don't have it in general. They don't have it in the story. They don't have it in the booking. They don't have anything happening. The only thing that was happening was that Soraya has been made a star by WWE. And so now everyone in England knows of her. So let's throw the belt on her so the fans can cheer. And that was all that was happening in this match. I did like the fact that they did what they had to, at least, in terms of the faction. Like, sometimes if this is the only thing you can do, to their credit, you need to still do it. You don't, you don't swerve in that moment. That's the next match, Swerve Strickland. But you don't swerve in that moment uh, for no reason, just to prove that you can. Uh, and so I kind of gave them credit for that. I gave this match a 4.8. Interesting story. Not interesting. Boy. 
a story. At least there was a story with the faction of the outcast breaking up. Uh, but nobody did anything in this match that really wowed me. Nothing's sticking out as I think about it. And that's just the women's division in AEW in a nutshell. I, I, it's just, just assertively awful. Assertively awful. And this next match was assertively awful. and so awful I didn't want to talk about it for so long. The coffin match. Swerve Strickland and Christian Cage versus Sting and Darby Allen. The Sting coming in at 69 years young. And uh, he looks like he's 89 years young. Like he, he, this, the only thing I wrote down was that Sting is done. Um, I said, this is the, I wrote like long notes for every match except this one. I'm going to read you my entire notes for this one. Awful. Swerve's dreadlock kept the coffin open. Sting is done. So the idea of the match is you got to close the coffin on your opponent, right? And so we're having spots where Sting is using his famous bat. He's getting the coffin closed on him, but he's got his bat sticking out. And Sting's able to survive. He's able to get out because he used the bat to keep the coffin open. Ooh. And then later, Swerve Strickland sticks his arm out at the last minute, right when it's being closed, and, and keeps the coffin open. Ooh. But then later, for the ending of the match, after they have spent the entire show or entire match training us to watch the coffin, they've trained us. And this is an example of storytelling. You're telling the audience what to watch for when you do these spots. So they do these spots to train us that getting it all the way down is a thing. That's kind of going to be the thing here. So then when they close it on Swerve Strickland and his fucking hair is holding the coffin open, you better believe my stoned ass was sitting on a futon screaming, and the coffin's still open! This match is still going on! Thankfully, the match was not still going on, and they called it, and we got to end it because it was fucking awful, and Sting, at 115 years old, does not need to be wrestling in matches that have a gimmick surrounded around like a hardcore vibe, a coffin match where we're landing on the coffin. Maybe that's the only way he can wrestle because they got to hide so much. I don't know. that You have to hide so much when you get to these older wrestlers. You see it all the time. We're going to talk about it actually in our next match. The next match, Chris Jericho versus Will Ospreay. And we're going to go ahead and move straight because there's nothing that needs to be said about this coffin match. It was, it was awful. I'm tired of Darby Allen coffin matches. I'm tired of Darby and Sting tag teaming together. There's something like, they showed it on the show. There's something like 19-0 and 0 is a tag team. Darby Allen and Sting. So why have they never challenged for the tag titles? Why have they never fought any meaningful tag team if they're that good? And if every time somebody punches Sting, he's not going to sell it. Like, what do we, we just have Hulk Hogan on the show. And Sting comes out and he pretends he's Hulk Hogan. And this is a guy who fucking hated Hulk Hogan. This is the guy who feuded with Hulk Hogan in WCW. And there's interviews of this guy bitching about, and everyone feels like Hulk Hogan's half the reason why WCW and Sting didn't take off. And now I'm going on a, ram, a rant here. Sting, you, you, you either you die a hero or you live long enough to see yourself become a villain. And that's what Sting has done. He has, lived, he has outlived his usefulness. Ooh! And he's, 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 he's not useful on the show. He's not, that's it. He's outlived his usefulness. He's not, it's literally it. He's outlived his usefulness. He's not useful in this context anymore. Because it's just a gimmick. It's, it's just as bad as watching the acrobatics. 
watching the old man from my childhood uh, be invincible. Yay. No, that's not interesting at all. Okay, so the next match, speaking of not interesting, I was super interested, actually, in the next match. Will Ospreay versus Chris Jericho. Some people know that I'm a big Will Ospreay fan. I'm usually a pretty big mark of everyone with a big name overseas until they come over to America, and then I decide I hate them. I'm kind of one of those marks. <laughs> but it's kind of true about Will Ospreay. I am a big Will Ospreay fan. Um, and I've seen enough of his matches now to feel good about that. I've seen him cut promos. I thought the promo he cut leading into this match was great. I thought Will Ospreay really carried this match. And frankly, Will Ospreay was the only reason I cared about it. Will Ospreay coming in. I don't know why he had to come. Why does he come in his heel? He's British. He comes in with the heel faction with Don Callis. This is the stupidest build ever. This has Chris Jericho written all over it. Chris Jericho has been mostly heel forever now and he does his little baby face stuff and we all love to sing Judas that's fine but he's a heel he's been a heel for a little while now and all of a sudden out of nowhere they make him a baby face they reframe him and Don Callis betrays him and is a jerk to him and the Jericho Appreciation Society doesn't appreciate him anymore oh no and, and the inner circle's not inside anymore oh no and but all of this is meant to draw sympathy and empathy for Jericho like that's the point of doing these things in the story they're turning him babyface so that he can fight the biggest young most talented British wrestler on the planet at Wembley Stadium who the fuck Chris do you think is going to be the babyface during that match who the fuck are 82,000 British fans going to scream for, Chris? Is it going to be you? Or is it going to be the young British phenom that everyone in wrestling is talking about, Will Ospreay? Well, obviously it was fucking Ospreay. And obviously Chris Jericho and whoever at AW is too stupid to realize this. I know that you have to bring them in somehow. And Don Callis was a ticket in, sure. Like, the Don Callis heel faction that he, like... It just didn't totally make sense, though. Because even when Osprey was on the show, he cut a really good babyface promo about how he has a stepson and a wife now. And that he's got people to provide for now. And that 24 hours before his big show at Wembley... He was going to be doing an indie show in front of 50 people because he is fucking collecting paychecks, making money, hustling, wrestling, fighting, fighting, bruv. Like, that promo was phenomenal. I mean, it was a little generic, but he got into it, and it was fantastic. And then he's with Callus. He's supposed to be a heel. Fast forward to the match. Chris Jericho comes out singing. He walks down singing his song. Like, oh, the acclaimed have this thing under wraps, Christopher. They don't need your help on the singing down the ramp thing in AEW. He just looked bad. He looked bad every step of the way. He looked bad and old and conceited walking down that ramp singing his own song into the microphone while his band played behind him. He looked bad and old and conceited 
as the botches, and I can't remember every individual one, but as the botches started to add up, there was piece after piece where it felt like Jericho was the one, not quick enough to get to a, a, a spot. There were a few good ones throughout, a few good reversals, but it felt like Jericho wanted to have his swan song almost as a high flyer. Like, I used to do this all the time, you guys. I was Will Ospreay before there was Will Ospreay. Like, I could kind of feel that energy in it, in Chris. And it almost felt like why he wanted to be a babyface for this. But then he gets there. He's obviously the heel. He kind of wrestles heel. Will Ospreay wins. Um, This wasn't Ospreay Omega. This wasn't um, Osprey Okada. Um, this was Osprey and 55-year-old Chris Jericho, and it looked that way. Jericho's not an idiot. My final score for this match is a 5.3. 5.3. I thought it was okay. It was watchable. Um, and I didn't necessarily know who was going to win, although it did seem like Osprey was the obvious choice. Um who, who knew at the end of the day? And, uh, yeah, at the end of the day, Chris Jericho, man. He's got to go. You, old heads in AEW that can go, for me, we somebody talking earlier about CM Punk. To me, it's Chris Jericho that AEW doesn't need. Let Punk fill the Jericho role. He can go heel, he can go babyface, and he's got the name right. Punk is just a better version of Jericho. He's 10 years younger, and he's more popular He's a better wrestler. I think I really feel that just came to me right now, but I think I really feel that way. We have two matches left. We're going to take a break. Remember to get your questions, comments in for the break. After the break, we're going to talk about how WWE responds. And then we're going to close it out with a book section. This has been a lot of fun. I've enjoyed this. This has been good. All right, trios match moving forward. This is what I wrote for the Trios Championship. This match was between the Acclaimed and Daddy Ass versus the House of Black. This was for the AEW, uh, what do they call it, the three, they, it's six-man tag, but they call it Trios, I don't know. But but the House of Black come in as champions, um, and they're, they're the heels, even though they're badasses and kind of cool. Um, Malachi Black, Buddy Matthews, I'm pretty big fans of them. Um, and then there's the acclaimed and daddy ass and the match opens with the announcers explaining how there's all these stip. I didn't even understand this, but there's each side got to choose a stipulation and it felt like they, one side chose no holds barred. And then the other side chose, I forget what, but basically they both chose the same thing, which is that there would be no rules but it just felt like they needed a way to explain why they were going to be doing their six-man gimmicky shit, which meant no tags and video game moves the entire time. I mean, I, I feel like you can take like 85% of what I said about the last six-man match and apply it to this. I think we will. I think we will. There's no reason to rehash all of it. Uh, the badass Billy Gunn was kind of a fun moment. It was it, it created a fun moment. It was a match to create a babyface moment before the main event. We got to cheer on the acclaimed. We got to cheer on the badass Billy Gunn. He got to win a championship. And we got to scissor me daddy ass at the end, which drew a big smile from me, of course. Um, so it was enjoyable in terms of that. I gave it a 4.2. Right in line with what I call a 4, which is just a serviceable TV match that you can enjoy. 
you plug in and you're a wrestling fan, you can get enjoyment out of this. Uh, and that's a 4.2 to me. That's it. You know, anything. Here's another way of looking at these ratings before we get to the main event and the main event score. And the main event was the highest rated match of the night. It's just anything under like a six or a seven, I think you're going to be real slow to invite a non-wrestling fan to watch. And that's another way of looking at it. If you have a friend or a girlfriend or a wife or a kid or something who's just not really into the wrestling thing and you're looking for a match to show them, that's another way I view these ratings. Is anything under an eight, I'm probably not going out of my way to show a casual wrestling fan, which is a nice lead into the main event. Adam Cole... Maxwell Jacob Friedman, Triple B, the AEW World Championship is on the line. And these two are coming in now because of the beginning of the show as Ring of Honor Tag Team Champions, which is a cool wrinkle. It's a fun wrinkle. I'm, I'm fine with it. I'm good with it. I, I'm okay with them tagging together um, and being best friends and sort of the, the babyface vibes with MJF. It's interesting. Do they stick with it long term or don't they? And as the match unfolded, they tipped their hand that they're willing to stick with babyface MJF longer than I think I realized. That's for sure. And I think longer than anyone realized. Because as the match unfolded, it was Adam Cole who was pushing the boundaries on everything. It was Adam Cole who began wrestling heel. It was Adam Cole who you started seeing that extra level of competitive fire start to come out. Credit to Adam Cole as a wrestler because I got to kind of go on that journey a little bit with him. We worked through, and I was explaining to my wife as we watched the match, they worked through the opening moves of the match, and they began to establish a pace for the match. They began to establish what the story they were going to tell was. And the story was going to be of a competitive wrestling match between two best friends. And that was, by and large, the end of it. That was the story that got told. Throughout, you were wondering who's going to betray who. And you got your answer. It was no one. They just like each other. They just like each other enough. We've seen all the problems on the show, but they just like each other enough to not let something as important as the AEW World Championship drive them apart. So that's an interesting story. That, that, that's it. Okay. And what's interesting about that story is it, it creates an opportunity for tomorrow. What's going to happen tomorrow? Are they still going to feel that way tomorrow? There's not finality in that story. So it's just a, a step along the way. I almost pull back a point or so as I rate it in my mind for that because because here's the thing and you have to say it at some point they had a chance to make this their wrestlemania this was a chance to make all in ubiquitous with professional wrestling not ubiquitous with AEW not ubiquitous with indie wrestling not ubiquitous with pro wrestling that isn't the fed just you ubiquitous and transcending all of professional wrestling. And they actually call it professional wrestling. So they can market it that way. They can sell it that way. And they can create a brand and a show and a banner 
That is four wrestling fans around the world. Literally, this American-based promotion doing the biggest fucking show they do in England. Is so many great precedents, so many great benchmarks that they're setting potentially in doing it that way. Which means that this match is Hulk Hogan and the Giant, right? This match is Shawn Michaels Stone Cold, right? This match is Yokozuna, Bret Hart, <laughs> right? And to me, it fell a little short of that. There are names, I'll just, I'll start here. There's names I would have rather seen in this spot. Brian Danielson's injured, Kenny Omega just not doing it right. I know he's coming off injuries, but doing the six-man thing. He's telling his story with the elite and Kota Ibushi and Takesha. Could have potentially been amazing in this spot, though. Um, oh, man, and do you know who I would have loved to have seen in this spot is Cody Rhodes if he was still with AEW, Cody Rhodes wrestling. And can you imagine Cody Rhodes versus MJF for the world title? At, at this moment, wow, that would have been amazing. But they don't have that. They have what they have, which is Adam Cole and MJF, which the two guys, I just went on that little fantasy uh, rant. I, I They did a great job. We're Back to the point, back to the match. They were telling a story about their friendship, the friendship holding strong. Will it hold strong? There's that moment where they, they do the double clothesline spot, which I thought, I don't know. I don't like the double close. I don't like wrestlers on the show giggling about the moves. The wrestlers shouldn't be, and not that they're actively giggling, but that's basically it. It's like, hey, audience, you're in on this joke with us. Double clothesline. It's so lethal. Join us. Be in on this joke. Because you guys are smart marks on Twitter and Instagram all day too. So join us in giggling about a double clothesline, kind of a basic move, being a finisher. And now we're going to put it in the main event of the world championship. Double clothesline. Hee, hee, hee. Oh, they tied. They tied. It was a draw because the double clothesline is so powerful that they both lost. It was a way to get to a moment where they could tie again. And I think that's what they really wanted was to tie again. I think the double clothesline was kind of just a way to do it. I don't fucking giggle about professional wrestling during the main event of your wrestling show. Don't giggle about the mood. Like, there can be an element of awareness. There can be an element of fourth wall breaking. This is not unprecedented, obviously. But I didn't like that. I felt like I had to just... I, I, I couldn't watch with suspended disbelief. I had to watch these two guys do this bit. And, and I, why, okay, now they do the bit. And when they came back from it, um, I did get interested again. I kind of perked up Adam Cole, five more minutes, and then MJF, it takes as long as it takes. And then I loved, as soon as that was over, Excalibur comes on, and he's like, We've heard from Tony Khan that this is officially sudden death. The whole match is, every match is sudden death. This isn't, this was never an Iron Man match. This was never a timed Iron Man match. It was sudden death from the beginning. It was always going to be whoever won, won. 
That was just so Tony Khan could like, like the one time, the man is a fool. The one time he actually inserts a level of authority into the proceedings. Okay, the official ruling about what is happening here from the corporate side of the wrestling promotion. The one time he does it, it's just in a way that, makes him look like a hero like oh Tony Khan stepped in and made sure we're gonna get a winner here thanks Tony like it's just so he can babyface himself up a little bit it felt like like it didn't actually make sense of course it's gonna work that way okay so those are all my notes on the match MJF wins uh he wins on I'm trying to remember he he wins on a roll-up um and, and I wrote down exactly what my wife said when it happened um, she goes, um, I wrote tough finish. And then my wife said verbatim, it just wasn't that satisfying. That's a roll up, right? <laughs> and it speaks to a roll up and why and how you use it. And it, it will feel a little deflating in that moment. And it did feel a little deflating in that moment. We didn't get to feel like somebody fought their way to victory they stole victory I always say you kind of with the roll-up you steal victory against the run of play and sure that happens uh in this context it happened when they used it earlier with Takeshita and Omega um but it's not um um it's not um necessarily this is how I feel about it it's not how if this is your WrestleMania, if this is it, if this is wrestling fans everywhere coming together for one special worldwide event, and then it ends that way, and then you have Adam Cole cry, literally cry. I mean, I get it, but I don't. I get it, but I don't. You know, like there's kind of a line there that you're like, you you you're you're adding to how much he cares sure you're also i'm hesitant to use this word i don't even know if it is a word but like demasculating him you you you're and i don't know if that's what you want to do with your big tough pro wrestlers we're giggling about moves we're giggling about double clotheslines we're crying after losses this doesn't feel like where the toughest of the fucking tough go to settle the score and prove themselves. This feels like an indie wrestling thing, and we're all just really happy to be here. We hope that the guy with the money doesn't realize that we're not that great and quit paying our paychecks. Like, that's what fucking feels like. It feels like we're just trying to get through, get by, come up with something until this all goes away. It doesn't feel like they're seizing the moment with some of these things. It doesn't feel like they're grabbing a sense of authority and pride as a company and as a show and as wrestlers that they could be. You got your, really your number one guy right now, your number one baby face, your ma a main event guy, Adam Cole, just out there crying <laughs> that he lost a wrestling match. And then you have MJF, his big brother. Hey, we still got the Ring of Honor tag titles. Uh, look, we're still cool. You're still super cool. And, oh, you can hit me with the belt if you want to. That's how much of a good guy I am. Adam Cole thinks about it and nothing happens. And then it's the end. And they're friends. And they're friends forever. I Like I said at the beginning, I, I don't hate that being the resolution. The match told a big story. 
obviously, we just broke it down. The match tells a big story in and of itself. There's some short-term build here, a little bit of long-term build here, too. Obviously, the two fought and tied already. Um, my final score, okay, enough, enough burying the lead. My final score for the main event of AEW All-In is an even 7 out of 10. I thought it was the best match of the show. I thought wrestling-wise, um, their work was great. Um, I felt like the pacing of the match itself was a little sh- slow. And at times, I just felt like I was watching a play, like a theater play, because they had to stop for, okay, it's a tie, and they both lost, and now we have to talk about things. And then after it was over, Adam Cole is going to cry, and we have to talk about things. And is he going to hit him with the belt, or is he not? Is MJF going to do something, or is he not? So much of this match wasn't wrestling. It was other things. And you save those other things for your big main event, et cetera, et cetera. I do get it, but it just felt a little slow, almost lethargic at times. They had to work through all of this. And I felt like I was watching actors instead of wrestlers almost um, who wanted to put on a play and tell their story that way. Um, These are pretty minor critiques. I liked the match. Uh, I liked what they did with it. It was fun. It was a 7 out of 10. We're getting into the territory where I actually would have not been embarrassed to have been watching it uh, had a non-wrestling fan come by. (laughs) Oh, that is a hell of a bar. Um, So it was the only match of the night that got over. It was the highest match. The second highest was the CM Punk Samoa Joe at 6.6. I'd probably give the whole show, I didn't, you know, it was greater than the sum of its parts. So if you averaged all my scores up, I think you'd get like a 5.4 or something. I feel like the show was like a 6.5. It was saved by the moment. It was saved by the fans. I thought the fans were phenomenal. Um, and so it created a fun show. And, and I felt like they did just barely enough to make me feel like I would watch it again. They did just barely enough to make me think I'll watch All Out potentially. And it, this has just been the story of AEW since the beginning. They do just barely enough. This, this is how I feel right now about the company. And uh, I've been going for a while. Dang, so I'm going to take a break. Um, and then when I come back, we're going to talk about the Fed. We're going to talk about a, another company. Known as uh, uh, the WWF. (laughs) Known as the WWE. We're going to talk about what the WWE has been doing. Look ahead to payback. And then we'll end with my book recommendation. We are on the home stretch wrestling fans of our first episode of Rope Break. Thank you for joining me. I am the Greg Flynn. I hope you're having an awesome morning, afternoon, wherever you are. in watch live at twitch.tv slash wet me wrestling you can listen 
anywhere you listen to podcasts soon once I get once I get everything uploaded to the website and then you'll also be able to watch and listen of course at youtube.com slash wet me wrestling old episodes clips whatever else follow on tiktok wet me wrestling follow on instagram posted a little teaser for this show on instagram yesterday so make sure you're following on instagram and make sure you come live so you can comment on what you are seeing in professional wrestling let's go take a look at chat real quick This match was for Terry Funk. Oh, I don't know what match you were talking about, Montanez, but um, some of those hardcore matches, that would make sense. There was also a match on Raw that was for Terry Funk, and I'm going to touch on Terry Funk briefly when we get to the book recommendation after this segment. This segment's going to be about WWE and Raw. What's up, Mr. Sandman? Seven for 53 months on the Twitch. Appreciate you, dude. Welcome, welcome. Okay, back on topic. We have just broken down in depth everything that happened at All In this past weekend, which means you are primed, you are ready for All Out next week or this weekend. Last weekend, and I know how weekends work. All In was last weekend. All Out is this weekend. And then we'll just never have to face any of our problems in the real world. We'll never have to parent our kids. We'll never have to interface with our wives or our girlfriends. We'll just be able to watch pay-per-view wrestling until we burn out into the stars or something. I don't know. What happens next in our life? I don't really know. Okay, let's shift gears over to WWE. This is the biggest week. Two pay-per-views in a week. I just said it. This is the biggest week in the history of All Elite Wrestling, what is WWE doing to respond? I'll give you my answer right now. The answer is nothing. They are lying low. I, I really feel this way. And I think that there's a natural lull in the schedule right now for WWE anyway. AEW has had to build and crescendo into this moment with All In and All Out. They've had to get to a place where they can carry two pay-per-views and have that many stories and have that many matches. They haven't always done a great job, but at least that's what they're trying to do. WWE feels like it's the opposite right now. I literally finished watching last night's Raw like 10 minutes before I watched the episode right here on the TV right over there. And then I ran off and I showered and I put on pants and I was like, time to podcast. <laughs> um, but I, I, I'm just not super excited about anything on the card for payback this weekend. I love WWE's premium live events because I don't have to pay for them. They're on Peacock. And uh, I feel like in general, I'm a little bit more of a WWE fan right now than I am an AEW fan. I, I like in general what they're doing uh, in WWE a little bit more. I like the way they structure their shows. So many of the things that bother me about AEW are handled in WWE. Reasons to care about matches. A sense of who the strong and weak wrestlers are. When upsets are happening and why. Um, I just feel like I, I have my finger on the pulse of the story of W. Like I, I understand the general structure of the wrestling promotion in WWE so much better than I do in AEW when I watch the show. And it's one of the things I've preferred about WWE for a long time now. But looking ahead, 
uh, to payback. Uh, the first match I have written down, L.A. Knight versus The Miz. Um, L.A. Knight, here's, this is a good opportunity to talk about L.A. Knight real briefly. I'm not going to talk about him forever. Uh, I feel like The Miz is the perfect opponent for him right now because The Miz is doing a hilarious job of pointing out every all the critiques of L.A. Knight, that he's just like the the love child of the rock and stone cold that he's a knockoff um and then the miz comes out and literally does an impression of la night that feels like i'm watching an impression of stone cold steve austin it's an impression of an impression and it feels that way and the miz is making fun of uh him for it so well i feel like it's a little obvious that la night is going to end up winning this match um as he should but it it if you're going to do all that, here's my question, and this is what I'm wondering. Does WWE really believe that there's more to LA Knight? That there's more in the tank? That he's capable of more than cosplaying Stone Cold and The Rock a little bit here? Because if you're going to make fun of him for it, to me that says that they do believe that there's more. They feel like they're going to make fun of him for it at like that layer of his character, but that as he gets more screen time, more matches, more impactful matches, main events, whatever they're planning, it, they must feel like they can peel back that layer and get to something deeper with LA Knight's character and, and that he can get somewhere deeper with his matches, with his moves, with his promos. Because where he's gotten is difficult to get. He's got stadiums going everywhere. That's my yeah. I thought The Miz did the fucking funniest yeah impression ever. L.A. Night. That's a pretty good one, I thought. But they've... I totally lost it. I've been doing yes. (laughs) Where was I? They must believe that they can do more with him because they're going to pick on him for all the stuff that we're wondering about as wrestling fans. Can he do more? Can he do more? They trot out The Miz to ask those same questions. But after The Miz, after this, this, this show, this payback show, that's when we're going to start seeing if he can. Like, who is he going to feud with after The Miz picks on all that stuff? And what is it going to be about? And are we going to see an evolution of L.A. Night? Or is it going to just be the gimmick and the trope? Because that might wear out its welcome as we begin to realize we've seen this before. Although, that's wrestling in a nutshell. That's how I opened up this episode, by saying wrestling booking is in large part about how do you mask the reuse of things. Namely, two dudes wrestling. How do you make that interesting? Match after match after match, hour after hour, show after show. There's going to be repeat. There's going to be grind and all that. And that's what's next for LA Knight. He showed that he can break through the initial uh, drudgery of all that. And he's going to have to evolve somehow. And so we're going to find out if he can do that after payback. I don't feel like we're going to get answers on that at payback. We still have some time to go on the L.A. Knight story. The next match is going to be, oh, this match, actually, this this feud, uh, Chad Gable and Gunther, that match is actually going to be on Raw, not payback. Gunther's obviously going to win. They're not going to take the Intercontinental Championship off of him, you know, a week before he dethrones uh 
uh, or becomes the longest reigning intercontinental champion they've ever had. They're not going to just take that away from him here uh, for no reason, and they're not going to take it away from him for Chad Gable. I love Gunther. I really love Chad Gable. I've grown to really like the Alpha Academy. I think they're adorable little baby faces. I feel like WWE does a much better job packaging adorable little baby faces. And I think that, like, you look at Alpha Academy and compare it to, like, a Jungle Boy from the beginning of the show. I talked about how disappointed with Jungle Boy I am. That is the packaging of an adorable little baby face. And I guess what I mean by that is somebody who has talent, has some charisma, has some looks, and has some ability in the ring, um, but maybe just isn't quite ready for whatever reason. Maybe you want to build some name recognition. Maybe you want to do some other things, get experience on TV, whatever it is. They're just not quite main event yet. So how do you package that? How do you sell it? How do you make it believable? And how do you do it in a way where the person performing this role can live up to their potential? So you look at Jungle Boy on one side where it feels haphazard and a little chaotic and random. And then, okay, this isn't working. Let's make him a heel and see what happens. And then I think you look at Alpha Academy on the other side of it, which is we give him a gimmick. We give him a meme, the shoosh thing. Uh, we give him a great wrestler. We give him kind of a gimmicky wrestler. Sorry, but in Otis, now we have a tag team. Now we have a singles competitor. We add in Maxine Dupree for some sex appeal. Boom! And we have a packaged, adorable little baby face team that can lose as many matches on TV as you need them to lose to build other things. And then when they do win, when they do start getting over the hump, you care. Or if you decide you want them to, or if people do start to care, you can flip the switch and give them some wins. Let them beat Gunther via countout suddenly. And all of a sudden you go, wow, these guys are really good actually. And if you've been supporting them and if you've gone into them, now for their rise, the potential rise, you're there for it. The same is kind of true about LA Knight. It's true about Alpha Academy, and it's what WWE does well, and it's why I'm interested. In, I'm suddenly a Chad Gable mark. They made me a fan for him out of nowhere uh, by doing things the way that they do. So that's why I had that match written down. That's going to be on Raw next week. The Women's Championship is Rhea Ripley and Raquel Rodriguez. Uh, I don't see any way Rhea loses this. It could be a good match. Uh, I, I haven't seen a lot of Raquel Rodriguez singles matches. Um, we'll see. We'll find out. It'll be a good opportunity for her. It'll be a good forum for her. Um, and Rhea Ripley coming off the match. Well, she's had matches since then, but coming off the match with Charlotte, um, just cemented her spot as one of the best women's wrestlers on the planet, bar none. Uh, maybe the best today. Uh, if you're just looking at it right now, Rhea Ripley might be the best women's wrestler in the world. So she's not going to lose this match, and it has the potential to be a good match. The Tag Team Championships will be on the line at Payback. Kevin Owens and Sami Zayn defending against Judgment Day. Judgment Day are another one that sort of feel like the like they're adorable packaged heels, right? Um, and now we can start to crank up what's planned for them. Damien, uh, priest wins the money in the bank. Rhea Ripley, obviously with the championship, Finn Balor feuding with Seth Rollins. And then obviously Dominique Mysterio, uh, drawing a lot of heat. I'll save my opinions for Dominique on a future podcast. Cause I have a lot of thoughts about Dominique Mysterio. I think that despite 
all of the heat that he does draw, they're misusing him. And that might sound crazy to somebody who's heard all the boos that Dominique Mysterio can. You might think you're booking him perfectly, clearly. I think they're grossly misusing him. And I think that the punishment for it's going to be long-term instead of short-term. Uh, I'm not going to get into that today, though. Because that's a whole other podcast on how to book young wrestlers. Um, but uh, Kevin Owens, Sami Zayn, obviously going to win this. Uh, adorable package, little heel faction just here to do a job in this moment, even though they have more things going on. Man, it's a great example of how WWE uses their wrestlers. Like, there can be momentum behind Judgment Day, and they can still go do a job for the tag champions, depending on what you have going on. It's it's really good booking. It's It's hard to argue against it when you look at the big picture of the WWE. The main event of that show... It's going to be Shinsuke Nakamura versus Seth Rollins. Um, man, Shinsuke, I don't feel like I get real excited for him. I feel like he sort of sticks out in WWE for having a different style um, and, and for his size and for his build. Um, like, I like him. I just don't always like him in WWE. I don't know how else to put that. Like, he would fit better in Japan, in New Japan, obviously, and he's so charismatic and everything. I don't know. Maybe that's not entirely true. Maybe that's harsh, but it's a long-winded way of saying there's no way Seth Rollins loses this match. I bet the match will be pretty straightforward. It is not a huge build to this moment. This is not Cody Rhodes versus Roman Reigns. We're not getting that yet. And it's going to be hard to care about a lot of things until we do. Uh, they need a sh- they need a shakeup in WWE, don't they? The heavyweight champion is chugging along Seth Rollins. The universal champion is chugging along in Roman Reigns. The tag champions have been touched. So they, they need a they need a mix up, and I don't think it's going to happen at Payback. So we shall see. We shall see. We shall see this Saturday, this Sunday. And we shall see in our next break. It's time for our final break. And we shall see after what my book club recommendation is. And uh, talk briefly about Terry Funk with regard to that. I haven't talked about Bray Wyatt. Uh, I didn't watch a lot of Bray Wyatt. Bray Wyatt did a lot of his stuff during a time of my life when I wasn't watching a ton of WWE. Um, But so I haven't felt like it's my place to touch on it. He has looked, from what I saw, incredibly, incredibly talented and incredibly creative. And uh, that is a fucking shame. That's all that I'm qualified to say about that. It's heartbreaking and a shame. Uh, but with that in mind, we'll head into our next break. That's, that's why I haven't really touched on that. But we'll head into our next break. Remember, if you have questions, comments, if you disagree, agree, you just think that I am resoundingly ugly and need to be informed of it. Twitch.tv slash wetmeatwrestling is the place to let me know. Tuesdays at 9.30 a.m. Pacific. That is right now. We will be back with our final section of the podcast here at Rope Break after our next break.
a new friend. I've been making a new friend with everyone who joined me live here for the opening episode. As we see in the background, Big Grease dropping that big grobo onto Action Field X. This was from our last WMW Community EFED pay-per-view haymaker. Ashen Field X won the presidency of the WMW. You can check that out in the VODs of the Twitch channel. It was a hell of a show. It was a hell of a show. And the WMW is coming back September 8th. Make sure you check out wetmeatwrestling.com. You can get involved. You can become the biggest Twitch e-wrestler in the world. You can do it. The only thing stopping you is yourself. You have to believe. You have to believe. And uh, I believed in this one-man podcast, and I only did one really brief dress rehearsal a week ago to prove the concept to myself. And I'll admit, as we coast on into the ending here, as we coast on into the landing here, that I, I, was, I had some nerves about whether I could pull this off, whether I, I can talk a lot, but could even I talk this much? <laughs> this is a million-dollar question. And uh, it seems that I can. It seems I'm capable of it. So this, of course, if you're watching live, you'll see it on YouTube. You'll see it. You can hear it wherever you hear podcasts. I will get that RSS feed going onto Spotify, Apple Podcasts, whatever you listen to soon. But first, with all of that out of the way, it's time to bring it home with a book club recommendation. I think I can do weekly book recommendations for a while. I've read a lot of wrestling books, and I am continuing to read a lot of wrestling books. The wrestling book I'm reading right now is perfect for this moment. It is perfect for uh, new fans of the show. It's perfect for somebody who's never read a wrestling book before. I'm not going to recommend Death of the Territories by Tim Hornbaker for you for your first wrestling book. I have too much respect for you. You're not ready to dive into those level of weeds yet. You need something uh, with a personal touch uh, that can get across the humor of professional wrestling and can get across the violence and the personal spirit of wrestling and the love of wrestling. And that's what this book's doing for me so far. Mick Foley, have a nice day. I'm about 200 pages into this. Um, and yeah, it's everything you would expect it to be. This was a huge book in like the year 2000. If you're like my age or older, you probably remember this when it came out and it's why I'm glad I'm reading it now and can recommend it now. Uh, it just feels like the perfect context to recommend this book. Um, because he, he gets into the weeds on what it's like to be a wrestler without getting into the weeds of wrestling. If that makes sense, he's not going into a bunch of technical stuff. He's just going into some of the psychology and then he's going into the personal stories, traveling to Africa, uh, getting dysentery, fighting the champion of Nigeria in front of uh, like 20,000 rioting, angry Nigerians who are attacking him because he cheated during the match. And in 1988 in Nigeria, they're a little gray about whether what they're watching is real or scripted. And so stories like that are always in these sort of books when you read books from old wrestlers. Uh, and it's just a riot. And if you like, if you're not a big reader, here's what I'll say. If you're not a big reader and you are a wrestling fan, 
you need to try these wrestling books. I'm telling you, it changed my life with reading. I started reading like a fiend. It was because I had to find something I was interested in. And it's almost like just watching a shoot interview nonstop that never has an end and the stories don't stop getting interesting. Like I go turn on my favorite shoot interview and, you know, 10 minutes in or whatever, it might lose momentum. Uh, great wrestling books like this one by Mick Foley, they don't lose that momentum. I'm just like learning things with every page and laughing with every page. So this is a phenomenal one and I'm excited to introduce uh, a variety of great wrestling books to you guys. I read on my Kindle mostly, but I kind of wanted a, uh, a, a hard copy. It's not a hard copy. It's a soft copy. I wanted to own it and hold it. So, so I did that. And that's the story of mankind. Have a nice day. Uh, so hopefully I'll finish that. And next week I can have a new book. If not, maybe I'll recommend a book I've already read at that time. Hey, wrestling fans, this is it. We've made it to the bitter, brutal end. And this was fun. We had new faces pop in during our first ever podcast. How fucking cool is that? How fucking lucky am I? I feel really lucky to have new faces popping in on the first time I'm even doing something and interacting. That's fucking awesome. It's flattering. I appreciate that. I appreciate old faces popping in and I appreciate everyone who's listening on YouTube or the audio version after the fact consider coming to a live podcast they're Tuesdays at 12 30 p.m. Eastern 9 30 a.m. Pacific on twitch.tv slash wetmeatwrestling always check out wetmeatwrestling.com to find out when the next event is our next community wrestling show Mark your agenda books will be September 8th at 7 p.m. Eastern. The return of the new WMW world champion Satoshi. It finally happened. Crystal Prendergast in our community E-Fed was finally defeated by Satoshi. So we're going to get to see for the first time ever champion WMW world champion Satoshi Friday, September 8th. WetMeatWrestling.com, news about podcasts, information about podcasts, uh, blog posts, community shows. I'm going to be streaming more Boulder's Gate 3 this week and next week. You're going to see clips of this podcast on TikTok. There is a lot in the works. Wrestling fans here in Guadalajara, Mexico, in the garage. I have been your host. Well, I still am. But, you know, the podcast is ending. I have been your host, the Greg Flynn. Thank you for joining me this morning, this afternoon, for the first ever episode of Rope Break. And I hope you have an amazing rest of your day. Go make it impactful. Go have an impact on something. Go have an impact like a, like a swanton off of the top turnbuckle. Make an impact on something in your life today, whether that's a relationship, a goal, a dream that you have. That's how I'll sign off today. Have a great rest of your day, wrestling fans. West of your day, wrestling fans. I ain't never missed my cue.